So good morning and welcome to Life Point. In case we haven't met, my name is Ben Miller. I'm the campus life pastor here at, at this Life Point campus. You know, I get the special privilege this morning to do something that is near and dear to my heart. We're entering into the WOW series, which is our mission series. WOW stands for Wide Open World. And our mission series um, is so fantastic because so often we're, we, we, we need to take a break and think about God's call to go. So one thing we're going to be saying every week uh, is we say yes because God is faithful. We say yes because God is faithful. Not because we're faithful or we're special. In fact, if you look at missionary stories, old missionary stories, you see George Mueller, you see Hudson Taylor, you see all these people who are going. I want you to understand, those people aren't special. It's our God who is special. Our God who calls those people, and then they responded with a yes. That's all it took. We're going to spend some time today going through the biblical concept of saying yes, of obedience. What does obedience look like? Our obedience to God may look different. Across all the people here, every single person, you have things, good things that God has planned, good works that he's planned in advance for you to do. Those yeses that you need to put on the table might all be different. We're going to look at two passages in Genesis, and then we're going to move to talking about the Great Commission this morning. So why don't you uh, join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much for your word. Your holy word encourages us to be obedient. I pray, God, that in our hearts and in our minds and in our daily lives, that we're able to ask you what you want us to do today. So we start today, right now, asking you, God, what do you want us to do today? What do you want us to do right now? What do you want us to do with this message coming from your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you, I I, I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Herod. So at this point, Abram is not famous. Nobody knows who he is. He's not even called Abraham, which you might be more familiar with. So he doesn't have the name Abraham. He's just Abram. It's just him, his wife, and his nephew, and a calling from God. That's all he's got. And God says, I want you to go. Go away from your hometown, from your family, from all the things that you love, all the things that you're comfortable with, and leave. And go to a place where you will definitely be uncomfortable. You will be challenged. You will have to speak a different language. You will have to do a whole lot of different things. And you'll do those 
because I said to. And he said yes. So I want to, this brings us to our first point this morning, that the Great Commission is about obedience to God. The Great Commission, which we're going to talk a little bit about later, is about one thing. It's not necessarily about how many disciples get made or how many people get baptized. It's about the fact that God says, go. And if you say yes to that, you're obeying him. The Great Commission is about obedience to God. Abraham wasn't great. There's nothing great about him at this point. God says, I'm going to give you a nation out of you. He doesn't even have any kids, and he's 75 years old. He has no track record. We don't know what Abraham's family life was like. We don't know if he grew up and they all believed in God and they worshipped him. We don't know. But we can probably assume that he didn't have a great track record of, of saying, you know, every time God's asked me to do something, he did it, and, he, and, he, and he, he went through with his promises. He kept his promises. Abraham doesn't know that. So he's faced with a big challenge ahead of him. We see a guy who's not special who goes. You know, we're going to go to this next passage, and I want you to understand a lot of things are going to happen between these two passages. We're going to look at Genesis 15, 1 to 6. Genesis 15, 1 to 6. Let me set it up for you for a second here. It starts out saying, after this. So I want to fill in the after this. So after this, Abram, surprisingly, was not perfect. He tried to pawn off his wife as his sister, and a king almost took her for his own. And then he had to say, oops, sorry, actually, uh, that's my wife. He... He met this guy, this, this crazy, awesome king who also was a follower of God and a priest of God who blessed him and encouraged him. So Abram's faced ups and downs already in this mission. And now we're going to see him going through some serious doubts. So look with me at, at Genesis 15, 1-6. So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. A servant in my household. So he's saying, Where's my kids? You said you're going to give, a nation, give me a nation. Where's my kids? So, then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. You will have an heir, and it will be from you, even though you're 75 years old. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky. See all the stars? Count them if you can. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So you have no kids, you have no reason to trust me, but I'm going to give an entire nation to you. Abram is facing some very serious doubts. And I want you to understand that the, the depth of the ask 
of God in your life, the depth of the request that He's making you to do, the call for you to go, doubts are going to be equal to the depth of that request. The doubts that will come at you will be just as powerful as the request to go. Just expect it, and that's okay. But what do you do with those doubts? Do you trust that the God who told you to go is going to follow through? Or do you just rely on your own doubts and say, okay, I'm out. Abraham had no idea what was going to happen. He didn't know what he was going to face. He didn't understand that what was ahead of him even. Because there's a lot more to come. He only knew the call of God, his wife, and his nephew. He didn't know the language where he was going. He knew nothing. Do you realize that since the beginning of time, God has planned specific good works for you to do? I know I mentioned it earlier, but I want you to understand this. Before the beginning of time, God planned for you specific good works to do. He knew what he was going to ask you to do before you were even a thought. Look with me at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. Doesn't that just blow your mind? We're God's workmanship. He's crafted you like a tool. He's crafted you for a specific job or a series of jobs. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to follow through and do what he's made you to do? You know, I think that sometimes we get it in our head that it's okay to rest on our laurels. I have to admit that I've been there. We're getting awfully close to about two years since Paul asked, asked us to be part of this church plant. But Paul asked me to pray about this. And he asked me, and I walked away and started talking to God. And you would think, oh, you know what? You know, he's been a missionary. He's, you know, they've done a lot of things. They've planted churches before. He's, he, he's so full of faith. It's, it's, you know, it's easy. No, not at all. I walked away from that meeting, and you know what the first thing I said to God was? Haven't I done enough? Haven't I done enough already? Haven't I made enough sacrifices for the cause of Christ? Just leave me alone. <laughs> is, that a, is that an act of faith? No. But God has a way of changing our hearts. So, we know the answer to his question, because I'm right here today. And if I wouldn't have said yes, and if we wouldn't have said yes, yeah, we could have saved ourselves some heartache. We could have saved ourselves the anxiety of setting up the kids' computers and the printers in the morning. I know a lot of you guys have, have experienced the pain of that. And we have, like, some anxiety attacks looking at those computers first thing on a Sunday morning. We could have saved ourselves a whole lot of heartache, but you know what? we would have also missed out on so many blessings. Because when God calls you to go, He gives you the strength, the tools, 
to overcome the challenges that he already knows are going to happen. He already knew the challenges that you would face, but he made you for good works and prepared those in advance for you to do. Are you going to do them? You can't stop now. It's not the time. I want you to do, follow, follow with me, a little activity this morning. Take your two right fingers, put them up in your hand like this. And now, now put them to the side of your neck. You feel anything there? Now take a deep breath. Blow it out. I'm assuming you successfully took that breath. I'm assuming you felt a heartbeat. I want to encourage you that if you're alive today, that God is not done with you. It's not over yet. Run the race that he's provided for you to run until the end, until your last breath, until you put your fingers up here and you can't feel a heartbeat anymore. You have to finish the tasks that he set in advance for you to do. We don't retire from being Christians. We don't take sabbaticals from being a believer. We do the work God has prepared for us to do. So I want to take that and look at the Great Commission. So this is a very similar, this is so similar in so many ways to what Abraham went through. So he went through a lot of stuff, and God challenged him, and there were difficult things ahead. But he said yes. And that's the astonishing part, is that Abraham did something so many of us struggle to do. God said, I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to, give, I'm going to bless you. Among, and you're going to, your nations are going to be countless. Your people, descendants are going to be countless. And, and, and that's what I'm going to do for you. And Abraham believed him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So I want to set the scene as we go through a couple parts of Matthew 28. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if you don't know that, I'm here to tell you that today. Jesus died on the cross for your sins to pay the price of the sins that you and I have done in our lives, the mistakes we've made. And even, even still, he was buried in a grave, and he rose again three days later, conquering death and sin. And we, therefore, then have the ability to know that if we believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we also have a resurrection ahead of us. And that resurrection is good. And we know that because Jesus rose from the grave. So if we go into Matthew 28, let's look at verses 5 to 10. Matthew 28, verses 5 to 10. The angel said to the women, so these are followers of of Jesus who went to the tomb to say, is he still there? Because they were going to do the things they need to do, pour incense on the body and stuff like that. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know who you are looking for. You are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, He's risen from the, from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell, to tell the disciples... And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings, he said. 
And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. There they will see me. So, the first thing to notice here is that the first words out of Jesus' mouth after he was resurrected, he says, go twice, by the way. And then he rallies them to a meeting. So he's like, you know what the first thing I want to do now that I'm resurrected? I want to have a meeting. Let's have a meeting. Can we pull together a meeting? I don't know about you guys, but I'm probably 30 plus hours a week of meetings. So meetings don't always sound great to me, but this one would be pretty cool, right? So he calls a meeting. They go to meet him in Galilee. And in this whole scenario here, Jesus is, is at the heart of it, and so he is resurrected, and that's, what, that's causing a huge stir. So I want to, want to bring you to this point. The Great Commission is built on the blood of Christ and the power of his resurrection. The Great Commission is built on the blood of Christ and the power of his resurrection. There's no better place to start than that, right? The Great Commission to go is built on his resurrection. So, why tell anybody about Jesus unless his death, his burial, and his resurrection means something to you? Unless what Jesus did changed your life and your heart, there's no reason to go. There is no great commission if you haven't been changed. You know, I accepted Jesus Christ at an early age because an Afri- a missionary from Africa came and spoke at our church. His message wasn't any different than what I had heard before. But what impacted my heart was that he was willing to take his wife and his kids and his family and move them all around the world to tell them about Jesus. And somehow that pierced my heart, and I said, I want to know about that Jesus. I want to know about that God who is worth that kind of effort. I mean, why tell anybody anything unless it has changed your heart? Why go and tell people about Jesus? What's going to get you up in the morning and get you out of that bark lounger and get moving? I want to ask you the question, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is Jesus worthy? Is he worth all of that to you? Because if he's not worth all that to you, then, you know, don't worry about it. Go back to doing whatever you do in your free time. No problem. But if he's worthy to you and he's changed your life, this should change how you wake up in the morning and what you do with the day. Because missions is not about where you are, it's about your yes. And so if you wake up in the morning and you say, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want to do through me today? That's where you start. It's not about geography. I'm not asking everybody here, you need to leave your home and your family and go be missionaries in some other country. That'd be great if you did. 
I would love it. But that's not what God's asking you to do, necessarily. He's asking you to say yes. You know, God called us to go to China to be missionaries. It was a very simple question. <laughs> the simple question was, are you going to go? Let's look at the next passage, Matthew 28, 11 to 15. Matthew 28, 11 to 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So, the guards were chief witnesses. They were key witnesses in the case for the resurrection of Christ. So, the, the chief priests... And the elders, they were mostly responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. And now these guards came to them and said, you know what, he's not there. He's risen from the dead. And so what do they say? Okay, well, don't tell anybody that. I'm going to give you a bunch of money, and I want you to lie. And what's fascinating about this is this last part that says very clearly, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Not only the Jews, but this is one of the chief stories, one of the chief lies that has been told for many years to come and is still being told. If you watch a special on Jesus and his resurrection on like the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, you might come across this. They believe it's a lie that Jesus resurrected from the dead. <laughs> so why... So why is that so important that they lied about it? Why is that interesting? Well, if you give your yes to God, you will be met with opposition. And that's our next point this morning. If you give your yes, if you give God your yes, opposition is soon to follow. Expect it. Believe it. Understand it. You say yes to God Opposition soon to follow. And if you already set that in your mind, you have that expectation in your mind, it's going to be a lot easier to get over it. So put that in your head. You will be met with opposition. These disciples were experiencing great joy of Jesus' resurrection, and right, right after that, right around the corner, was this big lie that made them out to be liars and thieves. They must have stolen his body. Now they're liars and thieves. So their reputation is tainted. As you follow Jesus, and the more it costs you in your life, the more your worldly reputation might take a hit. The more you be met, might be met with opposition of various kinds, health-related opposition. You might be met with people who are not happy with your decision to follow Jesus, I don't know what that looks like for you. 
But no matter whatever you're, you're doing, whatever you're going to do for God, whatever he's asking you to do, if you do it, you will be met with opposition. And that's okay. Let's look at the next passage. Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever, wants to, to, whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and they will, he, then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Before Jesus even went to the cross, he was already warning his disciples, opposition will come. You know, if anybody ever comes to you and says, you know, it's, it's really easy to believe in Jesus, I, I want you to understand, point them here. Because if you follow Jesus, if you give your life to Christ, it will cost you everything. If you're doing it right, it'll cost you everything. It might cost you your reputation with family and friends. It might cost you your reputation at work. It might even cost you your job. It, whatever, it, whatever that cost is, it can come, it's going to come at a price. The more you live out your faith, the more you take a step out in your faith, take a step out of your comfort zone and do something for Jesus, it will cost you something. Maybe it's just your comfort. Maybe it's just the fact that you will be uncomfortable by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And that's okay. Discomfort is okay. It, the pain that's, that could come is okay. Those oppositions might get in the way. But the question is, is he worthy, right? If Jesus is truly worth dying for, he's worth giving up everything we hold dear. I don't know about you, but if you've ever thought about what it would take to be a martyr for Jesus Christ... The answer is simple. Your yes. Your yes to follow him. Your yes to obey him. Your yes. That's all the martyrs ever did. They gave him their yes. It eventually cost them their lives. But it started with a yes. If Jesus is worth dying for, he's worth giving everything for. I don't know what's holding you back in your life, from following after Jesus' call on your life. I don't know what his call on your life is. I can't tell you that. But whatever it is, is it worth more than Jesus? Is it money? Is it comfort? What is it? If something is in your way, you need to understand none of that is worth more than Jesus. Where do you draw the line at what holds you back in your life from following after Jesus? You know, when, I mentioned it earlier, but um, 
Chen and I, we actually spent some time as missionaries, foreign missionaries, with our family in China. When it all started to happen, when we felt God's calling on our life, we said yes. It was the right thing to do. But soon came opposition from every different angle, and we started to realize it was going to cost us something. And I remember this conversation like it was yesterday with Shendra. You know, she said, what if we just, if we just say no? What if we just say no? So my answer to her was, I don't know. I, I think there's probably one of two ways to get to China. We can go by plane or we can go by fish. If you're not familiar with it, the story of Jonah, the Jonah the prophet, he was called by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was hated by the Jews. And he was called to go to Nineveh. What did he do? He ran the other way. He found a boat and some fishermen who would take him somewhere far away from Nineveh. He got, they got into the boat and they, they started taking him far away from Nineveh and storms came. Bad storms. And they all thought they were going to die. And the fishermen figured this out, that Jonah was the cause. So they tossed him overboard. He was swallowed by a fish. This is a crazy, miraculous story. Swallowed by a fish, taken to the shores of Nineveh, and barfed up. True story. He probably smelled really nice. Three days in the belly of a fish. So you see why we could say no to the things that God has prepared for us in advance since the beginning of time to do. We could say no. But we run the risk of a Jonah scenario where we might be taken in a fish. So I prefer to go by plane. What, what would it cost you if you say yes? It might cost you a lot. But, what, but the big, big question is, what will it cost you if you say no? What if you say no? What does that look like? You know, you might be called to go somewhere, learn a new language, start a new life, or you might just be called to go to your neighbor next door and tell them about Jesus, invite them to church, ask them to come to your small group. I don't know what your calling is. You might encounter something overwhelming as you go. With that in mind, let's take a look at this last part of Matthew 28, and this is the part we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, the Great Commission starts here in the Bible. This started a long time ago. It started from Genesis. The Great Commission starts the moment God asks you to do something. And you say yes. It started when Abraham, who didn't know much about God, said yes and went to a different land. For these disciples, this also wasn't the beginning. Because Jesus came to all of them personally and said, follow me. They didn't know who Jesus was. They gave up their jobs, their livelihoods. They, walked, they, they had to spend time away from family, spouses, kids, and go follow Jesus, who they didn't know. But they said yes, and it changed their lives. It was both devastating and, and awesome. You know, when he sends us out, he doesn't send us out on our own accord. It says he sends us out in his authority. So yes, you will encounter opposition. Yes, you will encounter difficulties. Yes, you will encounter doubts. But you will also see his authority. You will see his power being made known in other nations, in other places, even in your neighborhood. All the stuff that we have doesn't mean a whole lot in comparison to the call to, of Christ to go. Because when Jesus calls us, he also rewards us. And that's our next point this morning. Jesus rewards us in a multitude of ways when we go and follow him. He rewards us in a multitude of ways. It's not usually financial. It's not usually in great homes and cars and material stuff. But God rewards us in so many intangible ways. Filling our hearts and our lives with love. Love for him, love for each other. He surrounds us by people who love us. When we go, we go in his authority, and he also rewards us. You know, we used to, we used to read these, the missionary, these missionary stories to our kids when they were little. We'd tell them stories about people like George Mueller. And if you don't know about this story, these stories, I'll tell you a little bit. George Mueller in England, he felt called to start an orphanage. He had no money. And sometimes they would literally have not enough something to give to the kids, like milk. And so they'd say, you know, so the kids would come into the cafeteria and he's like, we don't have any milk today, kids. Um, let's pray for milk. So they start praying for milk. And milk guy comes to the door and he's like, you know, my milk cart broke it down. And I don't. I can't, I can't deliver this milk. 
My only option is, do you guys want it? You can take it because otherwise it's going to go bad. God literally met their need in that moment. Same thing happened with other pieces. In fact, the same thing happened in our lives at times as missionaries. When we had literally nothing, we were going to bed hungry and we were saying, God, what's going on here? And then somebody would call us and say, hey, you know what? We just felt led to uh, take you and your family to McDonald's. Or one night, pizza subs showed up on our doorstep. And, and we said to the delivery person, um, we didn't order this. And they said, somebody else ordered it for you. And they paid for it. He's still the same God. Was it George Mueller who was special? Was it Ben and Shedder who were special? Absolutely not. It's our God who is special. And somehow, by his grace, he allows us to be blessed. I want you to look at, with me at Matthew 19, 29, and 30. Matthew 19, 29, and 30. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and they will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. I just want to encourage you. If you're called to go somewhere, if you're called to do something for God and follow through with the things he's already put in your heart to do, that he's already designed you to do, you're a specific, awesome tool for that purpose. If you don't do it, you could end up in a fish. If you do it, you could encounter opposition and difficulty. But what it's saying right here is not, he's going to give you like lots of money. No. But what he will do is fill up your heart. Fill up your life. In a special way. You know, our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Could he give you lots of money? Yeah. Is that often what he chooses to do? Absolutely not. It's usually not in our best interest. You know, I know that it can be scary to do the things that God's called you to do. So I'll just tell you a little bit about our Nepal trip. So we went... So my son, Luke, and I recently went to Nepal about three weeks ago. And um, it started out with a simple yes, right? Then a few days later, I got a call that, uh, you know, from LifePoint. They said, we want you to lead this trip. Okay. All right. I've never been to Nepal, but, you know, okay, I, I guess I'll lead this trip. So now I'm saying yes to a little bit more, right? And my son, Luke's going with me. We had a lot of preparations to do. I had no idea what God was going to ask of me. If you know me, you know one thing about me, probably, that I get car sick. I have motion sickness, and it's not fun. And I've been many places in my life where that motion sickness bit me hard. You know, buses in China, they are not, like, friendly to motion sickness. Um, and so we had... 
a driver. We had a, a, we had a task at hand. We did a lot of traveling, and, and for somebody with motion sickness, doing over 30 hours of traveling just one way to get there is not great, but it got worse. So the next day after we got there, we had to wake up real early and get into a car, or take, a, take a short flight for 30 minutes and get into a car and drive five hours in Switchback Mountains, like this, right? Basically one lane roads, and if something happened, you, you have to kind of get over, you have to get over to the side and let something else come, like a big bus or something. No guardrails on the side, but the worst part is the jerking motion. And um, our driver was in a race. I think. He had every desire to make that five-hour trip in two and a half if he could. And so he drove as fast as he could, and by golly, I thought, and I had taken, at this point, I had taken a Dramamine, I had this thing on my wrist, and I was doing everything I could, and I was like, oh, this is not good. This is not, it was torture for me. But you know, I, there was one grace there. The Nepali guy, who was our, who, he was our, our friend and our guide, he's also a local pastor, he got sick, and I thought, hey, you know what? If he got sick and he's Nepali, maybe I'm okay, right? So got through that five-hour trek, and as painful as that was, we were so blessed once we got there. We shared the gospel with, as a whole team, we shared the gospel with 35 different villages. Unbelievable. Just as in our small team, we, we hit two a day for the whole five days. But I want to tell you the most special part of the trip. And I'm going to embarrass my son Luke here. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not sorry, Luke. So Luke was, you know, we all had to do these Bible stories. And you had to, like, say them out loud. And they had to be memorized. And, and so we would get up there. And so I gave, you know, Luke is terrified of public speaking. Absolutely terrified of public speaking. And, um, and, and we had him memorize one story. That's all you had to do, Luke. Just memorize one story. So he, he memorizes one story, and he, and he did it. And I was so proud of him. And, and so we got through, like, we got through day two, and, his, and he had told his story a few times. And he came to me, and he said, Tomorrow, I want to I tell my testimony. I want to share my testimony. And I said, Okay. Awesome. I know, we've never, you know, he's lived with us. We adopted him from China when he was 13, but he's lived with us for like 10 years. Nine, something like that, right? And, and all throughout that time, he's been very shy. And he got up there and he gave his testimony. And it was awesome. He told this whole story about how God changed his life. And how answering his prayer to be adopted was part of how he became a Christian. It touched my heart so deeply. And somebody accepted Christ because of his story. They said, I accepted Christ because I heard his testimony. You know, that journey was tough required a bunch of Dramamine and other things to get there and get home. Every bit of it was worth it. Every bit of it. What about you? Is he worthy? 
Is he worthy of your praise, your adoration? Is he worthy of discomfort? Is he worthy of you taking the discomfort of inviting a neighbor or a friend or that family member who just consistently doesn't want you to talk about Jesus? Is he worthy? Maybe that's not where you start this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't actually believe in Jesus, but now I'm interested because I hear about all of this. Now's the time. Today's the day. Jesus died for you on the cross. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for those who are here today. I feel the stirring of your heart. As we talk about you and we talk about how you are worthy, you are so worthy of anything we ever could afford to give. Any part of our hearts or our lives that we could give to you, any discomfort we could give to you, God, as we go, help us with our doubts. Help us work through the opposition. And I pray, God, that you would fill our hearts with your blessing and love. I thank you so much that you are worthy. Worthy of anything we ever have to give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.